Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi, everyone. Before we get started, I want to give a quick welcome to new listeners and followers. I'm really glad you're here, and I want to get to know you better. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at liz at lizsumner.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram. If you have time for a five-question survey, I'd really appreciate your answers. You'll find it at lizsumner.com survey. Just let me know when you filled it out, and I'll send you a coupon code for a free copy of my online course, Eight Steps to Launch Your Dream Life. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you're really a fan, you can support the show at patreon.com slash alwayswanted. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the interview. My guest today is Dr. Smitty Nathan. Smitty is an archaeologist who studies ancient societies in Oman and Ethiopia. She talks about her work and travel in her blog, Habits of a Traveling Archaeologist. Welcome, Smitty. Thank you. So what first piqued your interest in archaeology? So if I'm being completely honest, uh, when I was in high school, which sounds a bit crazy right now um, to figure out like a bit of what you want to be in a sense when you grow up in high school, but I knew I wanted to travel and I wanted to see the world. And for whatever reason, I got it in my head that archaeology was my ticket to do that. Um, but, you know, in actuality, um, when I started delving into what archaeology actually entailed, there was this intrigue about this, you know, challenge, this puzzle that you could never solve because there were always pieces missing. And as I got deeper into my graduate studies, for me, uh, what kind of sustained my interest in archaeology was just uh, uh, understanding human behavior, like um, in the past, also in the present, but the question of like, why do people make the decisions they do? I think that has really sustained my interest in archaeology. Wow, that's fascinating because for me, when I go to ruins, uh, I, I don't see a whole lot. I mean, how can you answer questions from from looking at, at a thousand year old piece of stone? Well, that's a great question because, you know, when I go to ruins as well, I have a hard time interpreting because there's so much that's entailed in understanding the context of sites. So when we go to a place, sure, we see what's left. So that could be uh, stone ruins, uh, different artifacts. But what's really interesting to me, and as well as a lot of other archaeologists, is understanding the context in which those finds are found. So when you're digging, taking a long time to record everything you're seeing as you're uncovering that site, understanding the context in which artifacts are found. And then, you know, I would say in the past like 50 years or so, there's been a huge movement in terms of different scientific approaches to archaeology to help us really understand certain things that are going on. So you had mentioned stone before. And one of the things that we find at sites are what's called grinding stones, which is often used to process, you know, different grains and cereals. And there's analyses we can do to um, 
analyze the residues of those grinding stones to maybe better understand what type of cereals or other things that they were using. So if you would first just look at the grinding stone, you might just be okay, it's a stone, I don't know what it's being used for, but there's a lot of things that we can do to kind of figure out um, a bit more context of how those artifacts and places were used in the past. Okay, and, and so do you have a specialty of the kinds of areas that you are particularly fascinated with? Yeah. So, you know, when I finished my bachelor's degree, I was really interested in what's called archaeological perspective, which is, you know, taking a really a bird's eye view of places like, you know, so thinking of like satellite imagery and getting a bigger overview of big settlement areas. So I think that's where my initial specialty started. And then I got really interested in food. Uh, so then I started for my doctoral work, I started looking at ancient plants and how ancient plants were used by past people. And, you know, I combined those specialties, both the satellite imagery and archaeological perspective, as well as the ancient plant analysis now. And I'm very fortunate to work on multidisciplinary teams where, you know, our research just sometimes takes us in new directions based on what we find. But I will say um, I've always had an interest in food um, from a young age. And so I think that has guided a lot of my archaeological work and interests. Well, it's certainly something that uh, crosses all cultures. I mean, everybody eats. So, uh, right. Interesting. Um, so, what was the first place when you were a kid? What was the first place that you imagined that you wanted to explore? You know, I that's such a great question. And I was thinking and thinking, and I honestly couldn't remember, but I knew I wanted to leave the U.S. <laughs> like that. Uh, and so I'm originally from the United States, but I knew I wanted to leave the U.S. and I wanted to go someplace I had never been before. And as a kid, that, you know, that was... a pretty much the world. Um, I hadn't really traveled much outside of the U.S. and then my parents' home country of India. So I knew I wanted to go someplace different. Um, for me, I wanted to stay there for a long time. I knew I wanted to work with my hands and I really wanted to get to know the people there. So those were my basic requirements, which really left a world of possibilities. And where was your first Dig. My first archaeological project, which also happened to be a dig, was in Hungary. And it was in a little village called Vestu, um, I would say close to the Romanian border. And I was so fortunate to be able to go to this field school. And field schools are places where students can get training, on-site training in archaeological methods, often excavation. Now, one of the big downsides of field schools are that they're very costly. So I felt really fortunate that I was awarded what's called a research experience for undergraduates, which was funded by our National Science Foundation, which funded myself and nine other students uh, to go to Hungary for six weeks, uh, learn archaeological methods and techniques, and execute an independent project. And I'm a really big advocate for like funded field school programs because it can attract um, a diversity of people who might not 
uh, be able to participate in archaeology otherwise. So I was very fortunate for that. And never in a million years before I applied to that field school did I think my first project would be in Hungary, but I had a great experience and uh, keep in touch with many of the people on the project. And what was the culture that was in that place and when did it take place? So it was uh, the Hungarian Copper Age, which I believe was about like 6,000 years ago. And they, the project was looking at a settlement, I think a, a domestic settlement. So that means like, you know, someone's household uh, 6,000 years ago um, on what on the great Hungarian plain. So uh, definitely an interesting material culture. Not There's not a lot of people that study it. So I was fortunate to learn about it, but uh, I think we were looking at, yeah, just um, a house back about 6,000 years ago. <laughs> wow. And how did you come to focus on Oman and Ethiopia? That's a great question. So after my master's, I was really intrigued by going back to my parents' home country of India and, you know, exploring the archaeology there. And so fast forward to my PhD, I knew that I wanted to study archaeology in the Indian Ocean world region. Now, there aren't many projects in comparison to maybe Europe. Um, in that region at that time. So I was pretty open about which country I could go to, but I knew I wanted to study something around like plants and food. So during my first year of graduate studies for my doctoral degree, I was able to go on a project in Ethiopia. And after that experience, the PI for that project, uh, Dr. Michael Harrower invited me to come to Oman to lead their survey. And so since then, I have, you know, stayed on the projects, both projects in Oman and Ethiopia, and have just grown my career in those two countries. So it's a continuation of the same project. Do you go back over and over to the same places? Yeah, so I so it's a little different for each country. So in Ethiopia and Oman, I would say that similarities are we do both a mix of what's called archaeological survey, which is uh, honestly like walking around the landscape, looking and recording archaeological sites, which is honestly one of my favorite parts of archaeological fieldwork. And then we also do excavation in which we focus on one site or one or two sites and we, you know, excavate them. So in Ethiopia, we were doing both a combination of excavation and survey when I started. Uh, so we were excavating the site of Beta Samadhi, and then we were doing archaeological survey in the region. So now, if we were to return to Ethiopia, and we hope we can in the near future, Currently, the area we work in in Tigray, Ethiopia, is going through a civil war, which is just, you know, heartbreaking. Um, and so if we were to return in the future, we would probably focus on excavation because um, our survey, you know, is for the most part complete for that region and using the techniques we're using. Now, in Oman, uh, when we first started the project, uh, or when I joined the project, uh, we were really focusing on survey. So it was only in the last couple of years, I would say, that we started uh, doing more excavation. So it is still a combination of both uh, survey and excavation in Ethiopia. 
and Oman. So. And how long before those projects would be finished? So I don't know if we can say the projects will ever be finished, but certain research questions might be wrapped up in different periods of time. So a good archaeological project and a good archaeologist knows that you never want to fully excavate a site. You want to always leave a bit for the future because uh, the idea is that in the future, there might be more advanced techniques and methods to better understand the site. So you never want to just fully excavate something. So when we're thinking about archaeological questions um, for our project, um, we're thinking about, okay, what can what question can we understand um, and what data do we have and what things can we perhaps uncover? So for example, in Oman, we had found through the collaboration with you know, local community members and government officials, a really fascinating site called Akar al-Shamuz. And a lot of the site and the intrigue of the site was at the surface level. So you could see structures, you could see artifacts at the surface without even digging. So one of our questions was, hey, okay, like, so if we dug a bit, you know, how deep is this site? And is there anything to uncover there? So our project was to excavate, you know, part of a room to see what we could find in more of an exploratory way. So we're still processing those finds, but that project is essentially complete, but there's still a lot more work that one could do at that site. So that's kind of how our projects work. We think about like, okay, what kind of question do we have? Uh, what kind of material or methods do we need to get more answers? And then we give it a go, then we write it up, and then we move on to the next question. And how often do you go and for how long? So typically, uh, we would go every year or every other year. It really depends on the funding because archaeological projects cost money to execute. So, and so we would, so for Ethiopia, I think we were trying to go every other year. And not everyone on the team goes all the time. It, it just depends the scope and scale of the project we're able to put on that season. For Oman, um, I think we were going pretty much almost every year, but we would skip a couple years. So it just depends. And then in terms of how long, typically if we're excavating, um, we're, we would try to stay in a location for like a minimum of four to six weeks minimum, like it could go up to eight to 10 weeks. There's some projects that stay on for three months to excavate. And for survey, um, I would say anywhere from a minimum of like four weeks. Um, it really just depends on the scope of the question and, you know, how many people you can get out there for the questions you're trying to answer. We'll have more with archaeologist Smitty Nathan and find out what aspects of the field fascinate her the most after the break. So what is a favorite or exciting discovery or answer to a question that, that you've come up with? 
So I get this question a lot, like, oh, tell me about like a really cool discovery. And this is such an interesting question because I think when people ask this, they might be imagining that I'm alone and like digging in a hole and then an object emerges. And then as soon as I see it, I know exactly what it is and it's major breakthrough. And discoveries are actually a lot more complicated, but no less awe-inspiring. So um, there's a couple of categories in which we can think of discoveries. Um, first is like the discovery of an archaeological site that the truth of the matter is that like it's not so common in my experience that we discover a site quote unquote that like no one has ever like heard of or knows that like something wasn't there what actually happens is that the local people who are living near the site, they they often say, okay, I think there's something there. It's probably really old. And so it's not that the site is unknown, but where the discovery aspect comes in is when we work together with local community members and honestly collaborate with multiple archeologists to understand the significance of the site. And that's what makes it a discovery. And the same goes for objects too. I could be digging in a hole and I find an object, but oftentimes like I might not know what it is um, because it might not be my specialty or it might be in a state where it's, you know, it, it needs some conservation so we can actually see what it is. And so that discovery of an object, sure, we might see it in the field, but like the the significance of it um, happens through a lot of collaboration and teamwork and research. And that typically happens like months, sometimes years later. And then my favorite category of discovery, which it might be boring to a lot of people, but I there's a lab scientist part of me, is the discovery of different types of information. And this uh, so as I mentioned before, um, I specialize in ancient plant analysis, which is called archaeobotany. And one of the methods in which to find ancient plants is actually to take soil from a site and submerge it in water. And then ideally, if you have ancient plant remains that are charred, so that are burned, they float to the top. And then we capture them and then we ideally can analyze them and figure out what it is. And so for me, that that part of the archaeological process is really exciting, but it takes months, if not years, sometimes, depending on like processing that soil and those remains and then figuring out what it is and then identifying like sometimes thousands of seeds or pieces of wood. But you can get really fascinating information about what people were eating, um, maybe what the wood they were using to burn, you know, fires in their house. And that's not an instantaneous discovery, but that's really valuable and to me, very intriguing information. So that's some of my favorite types of discoveries when it comes to archaeology. Wow. There's so many things to think about that you're, you're not Indiana Jones, but there's a whole <laughs> lot of different pieces and people that come together to, to make it all work. That's so cool. You were talking about the scientific techniques that are available now that weren't 50 years ago. What are some that, uh, that have really opened things up for you? So I would say in general, there's a 
booming field in terms of ancient DNA analysis. And I don't specialize in that, but if I'm thinking of major breakthroughs in the last 50 years, that kind of climbs to the top of my mind. But in terms of the areas I specialize in, I would say So I mentioned before that I was really interested in like satellite imagery and getting that bird's eye view of archaeological sites and locations. I would have to say in the last 50 years that the technologies surrounding GPS has really made a big difference in being able to locate and record archaeological sites with precision that we haven't seen before. And the technology just continues to improve. And so in terms of my field specialty, I would say like GPS for sure. And tell me, help me understand what can you see from that bird's eye view? What is it that fascinates you about that aspect? So I think it's the big question of why people chose to live in certain locations. And, you know, when we're thinking about making choices surrounding, you know, where to build a home or where to live, I think that's a, you know, a question that, you know, the real estate market in most countries like are curious about as well. So I think the great thing with satellite imagery, it allows us to, you know, see those sites and record them at scale, like we can, you know, record a lot of them in comparison to having to go walk around and then like physically record each site in person. Now we still do that. And that's called uh, ground truthing. So sometimes, you know, we see things on satellite imagery and we think it's a site, but it turns out it isn't. So it's important to do what's called ground truthing to go in person and check. But there's a lot that can be gleaned from these satellite images and where people are settling, which helps us understand like certain patterns or certain interests. Uh, for example, in Oman, um, we found, like through my dissertation research, I found in my region that you know people tended to build settlements and live in areas where water would accumulate. And, you know, what was great about doing a study like that was there's sometimes information and understandings that, you know, we all have, but we might not have like firm evidence to back it up. So in Oman, we would be like, oh, yeah, of course, people live near water. And, you know, we would have some anecdotal stories um, for certain sites. But being able to do a study that looked at a number of sites gave us better information to confirm that hypothesis. Are there any questions that you really want to find the answer to? Uh, Anything that's been intriguing you for a long time and you really hope that in your career you'll, you'll figure it out? You know, that's a good question. And I think if you asked a number of archaeologists, they might be able to instantly tell you something that's been like burning at them for a while. For me, I would say that I'm intrigued by like questions in the moment. And there might be certain questions that I'm like, oh, I'd love to figure out the answer to that. And maybe we'll never know. 
but it doesn't really eat at me. Like I'm kind, I'm really more interested in the questions that we could maybe figure out pieces of the answer to. And if I'm completely honest, like the part of the puzzle I love about archaeology for me personally is thinking about what methods or techniques that we can apply to certain problems. Like, so as much as I love the questions, I'm, my archaeological friends would totally turn me as like a methods person. Oh, okay, go ask Smitty about, okay, which method that you could use to figure that out. Even if I'm not an expert on the method itself, like I just love having a toolkit of methods to help projects and help people potentially figure out parts of an answer or an answer to a question that might have. That's cool. I like that. So what are some misconceptions that people have about current study of archaeology? You know, there's always the easy answer that like, you know, someone might think we study dinosaurs and that's totally okay. That's something you can totally Google. And I have those, you know, misconceptions and mistakes about fields that I don't know too well about. So I'm never going to fault anyone on that. But I think the biggest misconception that I see is that the glamour of archaeology kind of obscures how challenging it is. And, you know, to do it and to do it well is really hard. And, you know, you sometimes don't know what you're going to uncover. And that's really challenging as you try to prepare. So, for example, like even though my specialty, I would say, is ancient plants and satellite imagery, I'm currently working on projects surrounding like ancient mining and copper in Oman because we found really interesting information and data to shed light on ancient mining um, in this area. So I think for me, I kind of just go with what we uncover and I try to bring in my curiosity and like desire to just learn new things to whatever we find to preserve like almost like the integrity of the finds we're finding because at the end of the day archaeology is a destructive science like once you dig something there's no putting it back exactly how you found it. So in terms of being a good steward to the archaeological record um, and, you know, being a good steward of the resources and trust that people, multiple people have, you know, put on us, um, whether it's the local communities, government officials, funding bodies to record and analyze a site. If we find something we don't know about, I I feel like, you know, it, there's a responsibility to do the best you can to be a good steward. So even though there are questions and pieces of information I like, I try to stay flexible and curious, um, depending on what we find. Are there opportunities for novices, for volunteers to come and dip their toes into to the experience? Yes. And it really depends on the country um, and the local governments and uh, the project. So, for example, like the projects I work on in terms of novices, we typically take on students because we're really trying to like build capacity for the next generation of archaeologists. And then, you know, given our funding parameters and just the sheer logistics of getting out to our sites, we want to make sure it's a safe experience that also lends itself to effectively using our resources. So for our projects, we can't do as much 
of like, you know, bringing people outside of the local communities to come on and dig in our archaeological sites and train them aside from students. Now we do employ local community members and we do train them on, you know, various um, archaeological techniques. And we also do a lot in terms of uh, training students, um, both outside of the country we're working in and especially in the country we're working in. Now, let's say, you know, we have a good family friend who's always been interested in archaeology. And for her retirement, she was like, I want to work on an archaeological project. And, you know, she's from our home state in Maryland. And so she contacted the local government to see like, hey, are there any archaeological projects in which you might need some help on, like this is the time commitment. And that's like the biggest thing I, I hope people uh, keep in mind, you know, archaeology, it's it's not so easy just to show up for a weekend, learn everything you need to learn and dig. So if you can, you know, commit to like more consistent time frames, so maybe like one day a week for, you know, a couple months or even a year, it's a lot easier in terms of like the archaeologists on the site to be able to train you. So my mom's friend actually, you know, sorts through ceramics for a historical site in um, in Maryland. And now there are other volunteer opportunities, and and these are typically projects that have been founded to really help people who want to, you know, get some experience in archaeology. And the whole framework of the project is really community oriented and to help like community members or novices participate in the archaeological process. And that really just varies from state to state and country to country. And there are a lot of digital efforts, you know, happening right now. So people who want to uh, get involved in archaeology could actually do it from the convenience of their own computer, there's a lot of crowdsourcing efforts happening too. Oh, okay, I want to find out more about that. Any other resources that somebody who wanted to begin to find out more, um, anything you'd recommend? Well, I, I have to put a shameless plug for my website, <laughs> Habits of a Traveling Archaeologist. And this is really like a personal blog, and it is a kind of a creative outlet as well. But I do talk a lot about the archaeological projects I'm on. Uh, one series that I have on the site uh, that might be of interest to listeners, it's called Behind the Publication. So sometimes if you read a, a scholarly or academic archaeological article, you're like, I don't know what I just read read like what just happened so what I do for and what I try to do for every publication that I'm a part of I try to give you some inside information about you know the publication so two articles that might be of interest on the blog break down uh, the story behind the discovery of two sites one is Akar al-Shamus in Oman and then Beta Samadhi in Ethiopia so you can learn a bit more about the site and how we found it and the significance of it. And there's a lot of uh, great pictures and uh, more information on my website. Great. I want to, to put the names of the sites that you've mentioned and maybe a map or something like that shows, shows people where they are. I'll put those in the show notes if we can. Sure. Sounds good. Good. Anything you want to say in conclusion? I would say as an archaeologist, like I really appreciate when I meet people and I tell them I'm an archaeologist and I see their eyes light up. And I think there's something about 
different parts of the field that capture intrigue from people. And I think in terms of moving forward, thinking about kind of what like, you know, dream projects or questions would be, I'm personally really interested in science communication and building capacity and training and empowering the next generation of not just archaeologists, but also people who are fascinated with the field. And um, our field is growing and changing and and I'm hoping in like positive ways that will focus on empowering local community members and minoritized groups to hopefully feel a connection to not just the archaeological record, but making sure that archaeology is a science and study that really is for everyone. That's beautiful. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. My thanks to Smitty Nathan. You can find out more about her and links to her blog in the show notes. I invite everyone to write and tell me what you've always wanted to try. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening. <laughs>